Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I am your host, Mark Brown. Joining me once again, my friend, fellow Orioles sufferer, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, we are blessedly free from Orioles baseball for three days, so of course we choose to spend it talking about the Orioles. Uh, are we crazy? I say yes. I will concur. We are definitely crazy. Joining, you have to be at this point. You do have to be. And joining us along in the insane asylum tonight is none other than the benevolent dictator of Camden Chat and the most interesting woman in the world, Stacy Long. Welcome to Camden Cast. Thank you. We are golf clap. Yes, we are glad to finally have you on, considering you know you let us uh, post our stuff on your website. Oh well, you guys write stuff. If it was good stuff, if it was crap, you wouldn't be allowed to post it. That's fair enough. So uh, the Orioles are depressing. How depressed are you about them, Stacy? I don't know if I'm really depressed. I think when I'm watching the games, it's kind of like this sense of not again, and I kind of feel pretty down because I don't understand what I did to deserve such a thing in my life. But, you know, it kind of has reached a point, I think, in the Boston series when I was just like, I, I don't even care about it right now. I don't I can't even care about it because they're not giving me anything worth caring about. Like it's not even like I'm watching young guys struggle to who are getting better. I'm just watching a bunch of garbage. So I I did a radio interview before the season started and some uh, is for like a New York radio station, which was a bizarre thing that happened to me oh um, so i'm the only one here who's never been on the radio come on this is sort of like the radio this that's, is better than the radio that's true yeah this is way i mean it was just it was this weird thing that happened and you know i sort of embarrassed myself but that's fine but one of the questions they asked me was what's it like to root for a team that's had however many losing seasons the orioles have had 50 or whatever it is and I I think I figured out the best way to describe it is like it feels like we're perpetually stuck in like a spring training cycle and we're just waiting for opening day because like the games they just like I don't know I have a hard time watching a full game anymore like it, it they might as well not count basically is just the way I I treat them it's just like a spring training game. Like it's an exhibition that we'll lose. And like my psyche just says, it doesn't matter. Like just, it doesn't matter. And what a stunning transformation that's been considering Andrew and I were getting the orange Kool-Aid intravenously, uh, pretty much three months ago, but the team's definitely had just like the last two weeks, three weeks, really, Kind of since that second stretch of interleague, I guess after they finished playing the Nationals and they just kind of fell off the table. Like, it's just that familiar numbness from last year. And the team, not as terrible as last year, but right now, it feels like they are. And that sucks because I never wanted to feel that numb feeling again, which I really was like last year. And uh, it's it's back, and that's annoying. It's almost like the last couple months of last season was it even worth it because it made you kind of feel like oh maybe this is what it's like to like watching baseball and then it just kind of went down the tubes this season because it's not I mean I remember 
you know, four years ago, five years ago, however long ago it was, watching, you know, Victor Santos and Victor Zambrano, and I thought that it could not get worse than that. But now Luke is in the rotation. Mitch Atkins and Alfredo Simone and who who knows who else. Right, and Chris Jakubaskis has come and gone from the rotation. I mean, he's Right, so it's just there. like we've come full circle. It's ridiculous. It is, it is worth fearing what's going to happen in the second half with the rotation, because I... One of my doomly prophetic things before the season I said was I just as long as we don't have to see Mark Hendrickson in the rotation that's one of the things I didn't want to see and that might be exactly what's going to happen so last year at the all-star break we were 29 and 59 and that was good for 27 games back in the ALEs this year we are 36 and 52 18 games back it just doesn't feel better i mean i guess it's what seven games better more or less but it, it doesn't feel like it well that's well, because they're one and 12 in their last 13 games yeah. it's a little bit hard to think of anything else yeah so, and i will bet you quite a quite a sum of money that if you go back to not last year but the year before or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that the record looks probably pretty comparable I mean, last year was like an outlier in that the first half of the Orioles were much, much worse than any team really could be for a full season. Um, and, you know, for a while we heard a lot of the Oriole beat writers and columnists saying like, well, compared to last season, I will take this happily. And it's like, yeah, but comparing to last season, I mean, that's like saying compared to this dead fish, I will... Gladly take. I don't. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but like, you know, last season was an outlier. Comparing anything to last season, you know, it's not supposed to feel better because we're still really bad. The Orioles are still one of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah, I mean, 29 wins or 37 wins at this point is garbage, and that's what they're putting out on the field. So it's a little bit less stinky than the garbage from last year. It's still garbage. There you go. Yeah. Dead fish. Among some of the ugly totals about the Orioles, at this on this date, July the 11th, which we're ignoring the Home Run Derby to uh, record this podcast, because honestly, I don't care about the Home Run Derby. But anyway, uh, the Orioles have the worst ERA in the major leagues, a team ERA of 4.77, which is astoundingly bad considering all the articles that have been written and words that have been posted about how this is the second consecutive year of the pitcher. Uh, it is everywhere except in Baltimore, I guess. Well, unless you're the team pitching against the Orioles. Right. When John Lackey can throw six and two thirds shutout innings when he came in with a seven four seven ERA, that was among the many frustrating things on that weekend series. But we don't really need to get into that. Also, the Orioles have the worst fielding rating on fan graphs. I guess they use UZR or whatever. I don't know. Um, they probably use both UZR and the uh, BIS information. I know it's both up there. And I, I'm going to be willing to bet that no matter what fielding metric you use, the Orioles are probably dead last. Yeah, whatever they're using, eyes. whatever they're using, the team rating is negative 31.1, and the next lowest is like negative 17, which is the Blue Jays. Yeah, I mean, even using your eyes, like, how could a team? What what team is worse than them? I mean, <laughs> they're they're terrible out there. So you can see that reflected in why the Orioles pitchers have 300 
batting average allowed on balls in play, which is the third worst in major leagues. Yep. And uh, the worst, I'm sorry, like the third worst, fourth worst ground ball percentage, 42%. They're just not succeeding really at anything. And that's why they've lost 11 of 12. Have I already numbed myself to this? Is that right, 11 of 12? Ugh. Yeah, five-game losing streak, win one, seven-game losing streak. Ugh. Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, it's not even about being, like, disappointed or upset with them. anymore. And I am upset with them because I wrote this past week, I'm not frustrated with them because, if like, I'd be frustrated with someone who's supposed to know better. And they've shown no indication that they know better. They put out a really bad defensive product, a really bad offensive product, a really bad pitching product. It's just, you know, it's like I said, these games, as far as I'm concerned, they just don't count. And I can't get upset about them anymore on a game-by-game level. Like, they are supposed to lose all of their games because they're just not built to win any baseball games. The pitching has to be the most depressing because that was what was supposed to be our... If we if the Orioles were going to have an extra two percent, it was supposed to be young pitching, and now we've got Mattis is in the minor leagues, Zach Britton is in the minor leagues, Chris Tillman is in the minor leagues. Right. Well, I think as far as the the pitching goes, I mean, certainly the jury is is not out on on those guys yet, uh, especially Brian Mattis. So I still have hopes that you know someone will turn it around. But it seems like the the problem with uh, you know, Andy McPhail says, oh, let's grow the arms, but then he, and obviously he was dealing with a very depleted farm system from the get-go, so he was at a disadvantage from the time he got here, but it's now been, what, four years, but anyway, he he grew just enough arms that they all needed to succeed in order to take that next step, and everybody knows that that doesn't happen, you know, that doesn't, you have to have how many good pitching prospects to actually get successful major leaguer, major leaguers, and that's not what's happening. I mean, what's happening is kind of normal, you know, and but we just don't have anyone to pick up the slack. Right, we had one crop of arms grown, and we don't really have a second crop, or maybe the second crop is still in, like, A, baseball. <laughs> and high school. I don't even know. The second crop is Dylan Bundy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. But I, I think you know, over the winter when the Orioles were being more aggressive than they usually are on in free agents, they were going after Victor Martinez and all these other guys, Vladimir Guerrero and Andy McPhail. I don't have a link to this quote, but I'm very confident he actually said that he fully believes that the pitching turnaround once Buck Showalter arrived last year was the real deal and is proof positive that like the Orioles pitchers have turned the corner and are ready to be like a championship caliber rotation. And I think, you know, now we see like, you can't just say that, like you need way more than three months or two, two and a half months of, of good pitching to, to, especially with these young guys, because development isn't linear. It'll go up and down and sometimes it'll go, up and then down, and you'll never hear from these guys again. Did he really say that? I don't know how uh, I missed that. That I is mean, this was moronic. Six months ago, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I I feel like yes, it was very exciting to see Mattis especially put it together and Arietta put it together a little bit, 
and so on. But like the most important thing once you had these guys up was to keep restocking because you know you need to be a machine. You need to be ready for none of these guys to work out. And I feel like right now it, it seems like the Orioles have been caught flat-footed. Like, oh my gosh, we thought all of these guys were going to work out, and it's like, well, that was a terrible plan. Right? Because yeah, it is. Because that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And it's nothing against, I mean, there's certainly plenty of questions about the way the Orioles develop, you know, young players, you know, considering how few of them really do pan out. But even, you know, disregarding that, it just, you know, it doesn't happen. Guys flame out or get injured or just don't pitch as well as they're supposed to all the time. And you can't just say, here's our four guys. We're going forward with them. They're all going to be awesome. I mean, I think the absolute best case scenario with these four pitchers, and I'll, I'll list them as Matt is Tillman, Arietta, and Britton. Absolute best case realistic scenario is you end up with two of them, and neither of them are aces, but they're both very solid, sort of like Jeremy Guthrie style pitchers. Not style, but um, quality. And that's not a rotation. That's not a playoff caliber rotation. That is a really good start. But I think that was, you know, what was like a reasonable goal of these four pitchers is to get a good chunk of the way there, but not remotely all the way there. And time and time and time again, Andy McPhail has expressly, explicitly said he doesn't think he can sign a good free agent pitcher. So he needs to grow these arms. And it's like, well, I mean, this is this is not enough. It's just it's. You need more. And to then turn around and say, well, I think this is enough, just it it doesn't speak well of him as a general manager, as a talent evaluator. And they were especially one who's been in the game for as long as he has. The thing about the Orioles rotation is except for like Tillman, they they fooled you that they might be decent this year. And then because it was like I think James Feldman said on the site, it felt like the Orioles were just kind of treading water until Brian Mattis came back from his injury, and then he came back and he struggled, and then it was like they That's dipped. That's where it all went to hell. And then once they sent him down to AAA, it just completely fell apart. And well, incidentally, that also coincided closely with uh, Mark Connor resigning. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not one that's going to say, okay, the pitching coach really matters, but it, there's. The two events certainly had uh, some coinciding, and I don't know if, you know, the one caused the other, but one certainly followed from the other. I don't really think that they had much to do with each other. I mean, it was pretty obvious, you know, well, it seemed pretty obvious that the pitchers were liked Connor and were upset that he was gone, but that's not going to affect their talent level, I don't think. And I, you know, I think that this is just you know, what was going to happen regardless. I think if Connor was still here, the same thing would be happening. Connor doesn't make Mattis lose velocity on his fastball and not be able to pitch. Connor doesn't make Britain give up eight runs. You know, not you know, not having Connor doesn't make Britain give up eight runs in two-thirds of an inning. It's just, they're young pitchers, and even the ones that are going to succeed are going to, like Andrew said, they're going to have troubles, and then they're going to get better, and then they'll get worse because that's what they do. And so I don't think that Connor had anything to do with it. They're struggling, and then there's the last 16 games. Starters have posted a 9.56 ERA. 
I, yeah, but I mean, I knew it I was mean, bad. Yeah, I didn't realize it was out, that bad. I mean, you you need to throw out what Mitch Atkins did this weekend. You should throw out Jakubowskis from that. You should. I mean, you're left with okay. Britain struggled, but he's a rookie pitcher. He's going through the league for like the second or third time. They're making adjustments. Like he wasn't even when he was going really well. He wasn't posting high strikeout numbers yet, and that's fine because. You know, he's he doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, and he needs to keep working. You know, he's a young pitcher in his first year. Not going to be great, and when you're not great, those numbers will bounce back on you. And then you got Arietta, who's consistently dealing with his control, and I think that's just going to be his career is going to be marked by how well he can manage the problems that his lack of control and command is going to give him. So, you know, his walk totals will shoot up and and fluctuate and that will lead to him struggling. And then, you know, Mattis goes down, Tillman's gone. Guthrie's been struggling. I don't have anything to say about that really, except he just hasn't been pitching very well. The defense is awful and seems to have fallen apart worse lately. Uh, I, I don't, that's not based on anything other than just it, it feels like it's falling apart. And that's going to hurt the pitching lines a lot. So, you know, like you, you say the past three weeks have been the worst yet. And it's like, well, that's just, it's not a surprise. If you had told me that at the beginning of the season, I mean, I would have been disappointed, obviously, but I wouldn't be surprised. That's just, it's what you sign up for when you, enter a team that's this questionable defensively and has this many young pitchers. I don't that's think I signed happens. up for this. I didn't I didn't sign anywhere. It's just kind of here I am, you know. Well, you, you know what I mean. Yes, I know what you mean. Although if there is anybody out there who actually signed up to be an Orioles fan, God bless you because I don't know. I was born into it and that feels like a curse lately. Oh yeah, so speaking of bad defense, it's definitely felt like the outfield has kind of not been able to get to anything lately, and earlier there weren't problems. Like, Adam Jones really had some badly misplayed balls over this stretch of games, and obviously any game from the start of the season where Luke Scott was in left field was bad. Oh, that one game in Atlanta where he cost Jake Arrieta like five runs just because he couldn't catch that line drive. That was pretty bad. Um, Mark Hakus, like has no more arm strength out there anymore, which probably is the same reason he has not much power, and I don't know what reason that is, but it's frustrating to watch. This podcast is depressing. <laughs> yeah, we even tried to tell no, ourselves no. we weren't going to be totally depressing, and we've now got like 20 depressing minutes, so I don't know. Look, the podcast is not depressing. The Orioles are depressing. And, I mean, what what do you want from us? We're here to talk about the Orioles. I mean, we can talk about the future of the Orioles, which by, like, de facto has to look better than their present. So let's talk about the future. Well, the Futures game happened yesterday, and uh, Stacy actually watched that. I did not. So, Stacy, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Futures game and even what it's like, because I've never watched one ever. Okay, well, the Futures game... It's a lot of fun. It's a little bit sad. But I don't want to be depressing, but it's a little bit sad that it was maybe the most fun I've had watching baseball in a while. Um, 
it's exciting to see all the young players who have all the promise in front of them. And, you know, some of them won't turn out, but hopefully the ones that wearing the Orioles caps will. There were two. Manny Machado was there. He was the starting shortstop for uh, Team USA. And he was batting second, just in front of Bryce Harper. And then uh, Jonathan Scope was on the roster for the world team. He did not start, but he did make an appearance. Uh, Machado didn't have any hits, but I got to tell you, he has a very pretty swing. It's very uh, smooth, and he just looks really good out there. Um, Both at-bats I saw, I think he only had two. He flew out, um, but... He looked good, and it was just exciting, you know, to see him. He made a really nice play in in the field. He has a strong arm. I think, you know, the runner might have beat out the throw, but they called him out. But it was it was a beautiful play either way. Minor so league umpires. What are you gonna do? <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, so that was it was it was good to see him because you know you've heard so much about him and have only really seen him in pictures, you know, before not actually in action and. So that was good. Then their uh, scope uh, made an appearance, and actually before he made an appearance, the uh, Rick Sutcliffe and Gary Thorne, who were calling the game, talked to Keith Law, and I just couldn't help but think of what Keith Law must think when he's talking to these two bumbling guys, you know. But um, but uh, they asked him about, you know, who were some of the more impressive guys that he saw before the game, during batting practice, and all other things that they were doing. And the first name that he mentioned was Scope. He said he looked fantastic in batting practice. He was hitting the ball with authority. He said he's playing uh, well above his age level, and his defense is above his age level, and he was just raving about him. So that was very exciting just to hear Keith Law saying that. We've heard heard, um, him say some things about Scope in the past, but it was very encouraging. Then uh, he came in and... You know, didn't make any mistakes in the field. He had an infield single and then got picked off. So very Oriole-like of him. Yeah, but, he's ready to fit right in. But yeah, so it was it was it was fun to watch them. It was exciting. There I'd never be, watched one before either, so it was neat. Uh, I I think they were two of the very youngest players in the game. I know they're two of the youngest players in the Carolina League. Uh, so that's exciting, and uh, maybe. At the end of the season, I know last year we had an outing. Stacy and I were there, and a couple other people, where we went to see the Keys in the playoffs. And I know the Keys are going to be in the playoffs this year, mm-hmm. so we'll get a chance to maybe get another outing together and see Scope and Machado playing for the Keys in the playoffs. So, you know, it's 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 cool to know that these are legit prospects who are sort of coming into their own this year. And uh, it's not hopeless, I guess. You know, there's a there's a second wave coming. I guess not not to. It's nice to have too I much mean, hopes on them because that right. would be unfair and foolish, I think. Um, but you know, it, it's cool. It's cool to see the Orioles' player development actually like have a a winner for a change with scope, especially. Yeah, he kind of came out of nowhere. So that's really exciting. And I don't know, it's it's just nice to see them. It is easy to put a lot of expectations on them, but it's nice to see them for what they are, which is these young, talented kids that, you know, are in the Orioles system. And it's fun to watch. They haven't been broken yet. Yeah. <laughs> Not like us. They haven't had their whole souls crushed. 
So the last three years, I think the Orioles only had one player. And in 2010, it was Zach Britton. In 2009, it was Chris Tillman. And in 2008, it looks like it was Jake Arrieta. So I guess just having two players in the Futures game, and they're young guys, too, in A-ball, so they have more potential, is is kind of exciting. Although, and they're position players. Yes, they are that's, position that's players. Like yeah, that's a exciting. Weird thing for the Orioles. So. Yeah, and Manny Machado now, uh, Baseball America just put out their midseason rankings, and he's top five, uh, and that's exciting. Uh, Scope wasn't on there. I know Jim Callis, who's one of the, the head guys at um, Baseball America, said he was in the discussion to be top 50 as far as he was concerned. Um, so, you know, a, a strong second half of the season we we could have two top 50 prospects. Then you add in Dylan Bundy. We could have, you know, three legit top 50 prospects in baseball come the end of the year. That's very exciting, I think. This is our true madness here, because as much as we can be disappointed right now, here we are 10 minutes later, and we're talking about, yeah, man, we're going to have three top 50 prospects. It'll be awesome. Oh, I think we all need some help. Well, it will be exciting. You know, this is the game the Orioles need to play, I think, or the game that they've chosen to, to win at is building a successful farm system and one that can recycle. Like when the class of players that included Weeders and, and Tillman and Mattis graduated and then the farm system last year looked terrible, then they can bounce back very quickly the next year through smart drafting and smart player development. Double A and Triple A basically have nothing this year. All the exciting names are in A ball, so hopefully they kind of make their way up soon. Because one of the problems and one of the reasons why the likes of Mitch Atkins and Chris Jackavascus are getting starts in the rotation is because really there's nobody else in Norfolk to do it, except for like Troy Patton, who doesn't exist anyway. I'm not I'm not familiar with that player. Right. I don't know who you're talking right, about. Right. Right. Exactly. He's not real. That's the only reason to explain why he's he's in Norfolk. He's, there's no there's Poor no Troy Patton. Patton. I I'm I'm familiar with Pedro Viola. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's pretty good, right? Compared to this other guy who's not getting a call, so he must be much worse must than be not Pedro yet. Viola. Okay, so Andrew, you mentioned games that the Orioles are going to need to play and win, and one of those I think we all agree is the international market, which the Orioles are not really getting in on at all. And uh, this week there's been a series of interviews posted on Steve Malewski's uh, blog on Masson website where he kind of, he had a two-part interview with Annie McPhail on the subject of international signings. And he also interviewed Baseball America's Ben Badler, who's one of their big writers about all the prospects. And in summary, the Orioles just aren't doing enough. And uh, I'm sure one of you read it more in detail. Well, that's not what Andy McPhail says. Right. No, it's certainly not. The Orioles aren't... If if we're going to say they're not doing enough, and I will certainly jump on that shit, but if we're going to say that, they're not doing enough by choice. It's not they're unable to do enough for whatever reason or some something else. It's They've chosen that the amount of things they're doing internationally is pretty much what they want to be doing. At least the way Andy McPhail tells it. Mm -hmm. um, 
It's worth mentioning, by the way, before we dump on them, Jonathan Scope is from Curacao. He is an internationally signed free agent player. So it's not totally useless, a, a totally useless branch of, of player acquisition so, so far. Um, not every team can say they've got a, a top 100, top 50 prospect um, who's, who's come. Maybe that's not true. I, I'm not sure. Um, but on the other hand, the Orioles have had, I mean, what's their, their best international free agent player that's come up all the way through their system and then become a viable major leaguer? It's like Alfredo Simone. Yeah, Simone is... is uh, what probably... about Sidney Ponson? Sidney, yeah, like... I well, the criteria was a... viable major leaguer, right? So maybe the answer well, is nobody. he's been more successful than Alfredo Simone. Yes. But, like, that was, what, 15 years ago? 10 years ago? I mean, that hardly seems like it should count. Oh, I know. Well, you didn't give me a time frame. Well, fine. I mean, what about Mike Cuellar? Um, All right. We're getting a little far back in the past there, huh? Okay, so here's something from the Andy McPhail interview that kind of annoyed me personally. Uh, Steve Malewski asks Andy McPhail if the Orioles were one of the finalists for Miguel Sano, who signed with the Twins last year. And Andy McPhail's answer was, quote, Yeah. What we did with Sano is we valued him where we thought he'd go in the draft and made an offer commensurate with that, and he did better, end quote. Now, the biggest problem with that is trying to treat the international market like it's the draft, because it's not. Uh, it's a free market, so anybody can sign anybody for any price. And if you're going to go in and think, okay, we're going to offer this guy what he would get in the draft, that's the way to get yourself in the conversation to sign a player, and you're never actually going to sign the player. That's that's about all there is to it. The worst thing about that, from my perspective, is the Orioles were in there, and in the interview, Andy McPhail says they were off by quite a lot. But what was reported that they offered and what he ended up signing for is less than half a million dollars difference. That's... And that is just, that's not a lot. And even worse, as soon as Sano or Sano, I'm not sure how to say I might have had name, it wrong, yeah. Uh, as soon as he signed with Minnesota, he became a top 100 prospect immediately. And whether or not he pans out is sort of irrelevant to the conversation because right now he is a viable trade chip, if nothing else, for the Twins to turn him into something useful at the major league level. And he could have been for the Orioles automatically, like right away without playing any GCL games or DSL games or, or anything. And that's just something the Orioles don't have. And at the same time, they're just throwing money away on, on washed up MLB free agents. Yeah. Santa's bonus, I believe was $3.15 million. So, that's going to basically buy you two. Uh, two of them will buy you one Derek Lee. Uh, actually, he might end up being more like three if he hits all of his plate appearance incentives because his base salary is $7.25 million. He may end up making as much as $9.5 million. And, like, w- without even playing, without doing anything, just signing that contract already makes him 
far more valuable than Derek Lee is, far more valuable than Garrett Atkins was, far more valuable than Vlad is. He didn't have to turn into a successful player. And I don't know what his minor league stats look like because it, it really doesn't matter to me because he's not in the overall system. But, you know, he didn't have to have any actual tangible success to be something worth having for that amount of money. Like, if that's the value the Orioles put on him, and they said, we can't go any higher because we just don't value him any higher, that's fine, but they're wrong because he was worth more than that. Just just in being a trade chip possibility. Right, just in case you are wondering how he's doing this year, sitting 280, 318, 537. Well, so, what level is league. Yeah, rookie, but still. So, rookie ball. But he's born in 1993. <laughs> you know? Oh, when did I get old? So, I mean. A couple of years ago, Mark. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, so, I mean, I agree with everything you said, Andrew. And, like you said, it doesn't, ultimately, it doesn't even really matter how he's doing. Um, because that's not the point of, you know, right? Like he, he that, was a known, but he's doing well. He was a known quantity, and just him being your asset, and because he was the top prospect that year, that that becomes an asset just by reputation. Without, like everybody knew he was talented to a certain extent, and you know. I don't know what else to say. It's it's really frustrating to hear him say, like, well, this is just not how we look at prospects, I guess. Like, the Orioles are counting on every single prospect they, they put into their system to turn into successful Baltimore Orioles. And Ben Badler I mean, estimated I, I that like the Orioles spent $1.18 million for all their international spending, and that was 25th in the major leagues of all teams. Several teams, I think, spent more than that on one player or more than one player. I mean, that's that's Felix P.A. That's his salary. You know, I mean, like, we can't double that. Or, I mean, money is not obviously the only thing you want to look at because you want to look at the talent you've acquired versus the talent you've let other teams acquire. But, I don't know. I, I just... It's 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 the easiest fish in the barrel to shoot at the Orioles. Like, oh, well, do something internationally. But seriously, do something internationally. Right, well, the thing that frustrated me most about that Andy McPhail interview was the way he just... It, it just boggles my mind the way he discounts the talent in... And he's not saying there's not talent there. He's saying they can't adequately evaluate it because of they don't get to them in game you know, situations and there's the shady agents and all that. But the truth is that, but the talent is there. And the, so other teams are taking risks, you know, on these guys, the same way that they are taking risks in the regular draft. And for as much as McPhail talks about, Oh, we're spending money in the regular draft. It's very similar. It's just, you're not, you know, there's no slot because, you know, there's no one telling you how much you should be paying for their talent. And But they've seen them in a couple college games and suddenly they think they know everything there is to know about these prospects and they're not doing anything. It's just for a team that is so barren in the minor league system and has been for so long, the fact that they're not taking advantage of every single outlet to them is just so 
amazingly mind-boggling. Well, he's not wrong. These guys are a much greater risk. Oh, I agree, but... There's a huge conversation about, like, some people want the Orioles to just take college players because they think high school players are too big a risk. And these guys are younger than high school players. But, I mean, like a million dollars, a little over a million dollars, and you're saying, like, well, that's all the risk we were willing to, to take. At the same time, I mean... How is the major league talent that you're bringing in that's just, it, it's not contributing, it's just taking up space. Right, we're paying $6 million dollars to Michael Gonzalez. I mean, come on. Right, like how is that less of a risk than spending $2 million internationally? Right, it's, that's the thing is, and when you're in the position that the Orioles are in, which is you suck and your farm system sucks and you have sucked for how long, then you need to roll the dice. <laughs> you need to invest money in places where you find a gem. And if you find a couple gems, if you find one Felix Hernandez, it's worth every dollar that you've spent down there. And I don't understand what is so difficult about that. It makes no sense to me that they just refuse to even explore it when they are so already so far in the hole compared to other teams. And by the way, the Orioles' major league payroll is $87 million this year, which is the second highest payroll they've ever had. So, I mean, this is what you're spending on the big league roster to be bad. Why can we just not... I mean, well, I mean, there's no guarantee that less money on the big league roster means more money in the international stuff. But if money is a problem on the big league roster, why do we keep signing these crabby old guys and then we can't sign guys that actually have promise? It's 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 just really frustrating as a, as a fan of the team. Especially since inter- the international market is the one market that's been proven that like your standing as a franchise and the amount of money you can put on payroll is not a hindrance to teams on uh, Teams like the Yankees that have such a monopoly when it comes to major league free agents just don't enjoy that same advantage for whatever reason on the international market. So this is an opportunity that the Orioles absolutely can take advantage of, and they're just they're choosing not to. Like we will win just through the draft because they're closing the door on international and they can't really compete on the free agent market. So it's like you know, it, it's it's a terrible decision to just say we're what we're spending is what we want to be spending and not a penny more. So Andy McPhail's contract is going to run out at the end of this season. So do you think that he will come back and do you think that he should come back? Stacy? Um I think that he will come back. And I think that Peter Angelos likes him a lot. And I think that he has the reputation, you know, regardless of whether it's, you know, worth it. He has the reputation of being a good baseball guy. And I think that Angelos is comfortable with him. And I think that he'll return. Do I think he should return? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why he shouldn't. I'm not on the, uh, you know, I'm not the captain of the fire in fellowship the way that, that James is, but I, there's plenty of reasons I think that he could be replaced, but I don't trust the Orioles to hire someone better than him, frankly. So I don't know what would be the outcome of, I mean, I know that obviously if it's not working out, you have to make a change. 
well, first of all, I don't know what Angelos thinks about if it is working out or not, but I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I just don't trust them to hire someone who's going to be any different than McPhail or better. And at least. Yeah. We have some people on the site talking about like, Oh, just pay Andrew Freeman, whatever to come from Tampa Bay. But I don't even know why, you know, why yeah, would he I, leave I there? That's, like that's crazy. I have a lot. I'm disappointed with the Andy McPhail's time, but I think I'm kind of with Stacy in the sense that I'm afraid of what would happen if they decided, oh, we need to get rid of Andy McPhail and bring in somebody else. Like, I don't know. This is, I guess, the case of is the devil you know better than the one you don't. And I guess we should maybe stick with the one we know. Well, I will disagree with you. Um, for one thing, he has not earned a contract extension because, and I'm, I'm sure he would have a hard time disagreeing. I know he, he said, and it's been relayed through Jeff Zerbrick at the Baltimore Sun, that he feels you are what your record says you are, and the Orioles are just as bad today as they were the day he walked in the door. Um, and that's just, you know, why should he have a contract extension? Why, why, I mean, what has he done that has gotten the Orioles anywhere? You, you look at... Um, Alex Anthropoulos in uh, Toronto, who walked in to a terrible situation and basically has the team on the upswing in half the time McPhail has gotten to do nothing, basically. Trading Vernon Wells for him was like the most amazing thing. I mean, you know, maybe that was a fluke thing that took the Angels to forget what was happening over the past five years. But even without that, like he got a, a... He's just got that team in the in the right direction, and he seems to know what he's doing. And he went out and said, like, well, we need to win, and we're going to win by having more scouts than everyone else. And what what are the what's the overall strategy? We're going to win by doing what better than everyone else? Having a farm system? They don't have a farm system better than everyone else. The Red Sox have the best farm system machine. The Rays have the best farm system machine. The Blue Jays have the best farm system machine. Everybody except for the Orioles and the AL East has the best farm um, system machine, really. They say they're not going to win on the international front. They're not going to win in the free agent front. Like, well, then you're just not going to win. And you talk about the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. Like, it, it's sort of like when we were talking about trading Jeremy Guthrie before. And the people who were against the idea at least initially and you know we can talk about that again if you want to but the they were saying if we get rid of him he's our one good pitcher what will we do after that and it's like well you'll continue to be really bad because you're really bad with him with Andy McPhail the Orioles are terrible and they don't have what appears to be a strong direction anymore the the big plan that McPhail brought to the organization was a dud and you know it, it would have looked a lot better if Marquez didn't regress horribly and Roberts didn't knock himself out of baseball with his bat and these pitchers didn't totally collapse the way pitchers do but like when you're relying on those three groups of things like well I hope our aging second baseman doesn't age and I hope our star player doesn't suddenly stop being a star. Like, okay. And I hope all of our young pitchers turn out perfectly. It's, I mean, it just, it, 
that didn't work. And what's the plan now? And I don't, I don't see one. Bring in anybody else because the devil we know is just not, not good enough. Well, like, the thing is that the devil that I know is Peter Angelos, and I don't, like I said, I just, I don't know that he knows what it takes to hire someone who can help. And I don't know that he trusts anyone else to make that decision for him. And so I'm not saying, I don't, I think that anime Phil has not ultimately done a good job. I agree with you there. I just think that calling for his head will result in hiring another guy who doesn't know what he's doing. And maybe that's just like, what if it turned out the choice was between Annie McPhail and like one of the Angela's sons or something, then you'd take McPhail, right? Well, yeah, but it's not, I'm sure it's not, but I'm just throwing that that out there. That he should stay because of that. I'm just saying, I don't think that it matters what happens. I don't think that it matters if he stays or if he goes. I don't think that they're they're not going to bring in some young, innovative guy or whoever who knows what they're doing. They're going to bring in another old school baseball guy, and it's going to be the same thing again, in my opinion. Well, so I'm Debbie the, Downer. I mean, the same thing again. That's fine. I mean, that's exactly like keeping him. Is and then any... we'll do a podcast in 2014. <laughs> and we'll be saying the same things. I mean, my that's what I think. Until, and I, I wrote about this extensively, and um, until the Orioles embrace some of these modern concepts that have pervaded baseball that elude them, um, they're, they're not going to be any good, and I, I don't see that happening with Andy McPhail. And, uh, you know, he is admittedly very conservative. He's 60 years old. He's a conservative old lifetime baseball guy. He likes his he's, sweater vests a lot. He's just, he's not going to be the guy who, who leads us. I, I do not believe that anymore. I, I did at one point and I, I don't anymore. And if he's not the guy, bring in the next guy. If he's not going to be the guy either, at least we're trying to find the guy. Just saying, let's stick with him because it could be a lot worse. Well, that's that's not good enough for me. So I feel like with McPhail's contract being sort of in doubt, that's probably going to make him less likely to trade people because he's not going to want to tank in the last couple months. And I mean, there's a lot of guys that when they were signed or before the season, we were talking about, oh, well, maybe we'll get a prospect for Luke Scott. Uh, Maybe we'll get a prospect for Vlad. Maybe we'll get a prospect for Derek Lee. I mean, none of those guys, you know, we're not getting crap for any of those guys. But actual possibly valuable players, I mean, J.J. Hardy, we're talking about, oh, are we going to extend him? And, I mean, I really like J.J. Hardy, but like, what are they going to give him, three years? Are the Orioles going to be good in three years if they don't get a massive infusion of talent? No. Jeremy Guthrie, okay, we got the rest of this year and next year. Well, we're not going to be any good with Jeremy Guthrie in those times. It would hurt me to trade Jeremy Guthrie, but maybe we should. But I don't know that Andy McPhail is going to look at it like that because he's not going to want to hang like a 4-32 and like at the end of the 2002 season when he's thinking. What's the difference? Yeah. Well, do you think that there is a record like that or, or some other situation that the season could end on that would, like, be bad enough that Angelos or whoever is making that decision says you're out. Like, no, if this is like your final, like 
curtain call, like, no, you're you're done. We're, we're, we'll find somebody else. Do you think there's, like, if the Orioles go, like, 2-31 and 31 to end the season, do you think that would be, like, a bad enough thing that happened that that would cost Andy McPhail his job, basically? See, it's hard, it's hard for me to say because I don't know what – I mean, I'm not in the head of Peter Angelos, right? We all know the reputation of Angelos, but I feel like he's kind of, with the hiring of McPhail, he's like mellowed, he's maybe admitted, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing with all these baseball moves. And, you know, he's just going to sit back and sit on his pile of tobacco uh, settlement money or whatever. The thing is that it's... Like Mark said, it's it's impossible to know for me because the last time we heard from Peter Angelos was the beginning of the season, and he said, Andy McPhail is not going anywhere. Now the season is half over, and we haven't heard from him since before the season started. So I have no idea what's going on in his head. And I know that he wants to win. As poor as he has run this team, he always really does seem like he really wants to win. Peter Angelos so, is a Baltimore guy through and through. If, so, so if you don't know, last year, basically, the public pools in Baltimore were going to have to close. But there was an anonymous donor who donated enough money so they could have public pools all summer. And it turned out that was Peter Angelos. He didn't, it wasn't reported at the time, but that was reported in like January or something. So, I mean... The guy loves Baltimore. I'm sure he wants the Orioles to win. I just don't think he knows how. And uh, the question is, has he hired Andy McPhail? Does Andy McPhail know how? I don't know if he does or not. But Well, I just, I think that Angelos, yeah, I think that people who, you know, say particularly the horrible things about Angelos don't know, I don't think he's a bad person. I just think that he doesn't know what he's doing. And it took him so long to admit that he didn't know what he was doing because he's an egomaniac. Um, which is how he became so rich in the first place, partially. And, you know, he's like always been very good at everything that he does. But he's been so mum, we haven't heard anything from him in so long, that maybe, I don't know, he's old now. Maybe he doesn't even care. Who knows? I have no idea, because we haven't heard from him. And so, maybe if they, you know, lose 25 of the last 30 games, maybe that's enough to say, sorry, you know, thanks but no thanks, uh, Andy. Or maybe... I just have no way to have put any kind of guess together. I really don't. I will say this because I, I do remember him giving an interview at the beginning of the season and saying he fully intends to have Andy McPhail stick around because he mm-hmm. thinks he's done a great job. And I, I do remember that. And I would be shocked if Andy McPhail is not our general manager come this time next year and the year after that and the year after that. And I mean, I I disagree with that decision, but I mean, of course that's that's how I expect it to go. So with the payroll at eighty-seven million for this year, how how high do you think it would have to go, Andrew, for the Orioles to be competing like the way it's well, going right now? You know, that's something. Ever since we we were talking with James uh, last time, last episode, um, on the previously on about uh, basically because he wants to have a fire sale. Uh, He wants to get rid of everyone who's hit arbitration and is going to get expensive because he doesn't think the Orioles can afford to have all of these guys and bring in free agents that can fill the holes that are just going to naturally be on the team from guys departing, like Derek Lee, 
we'll, we'll need to have somebody play first base next year. Um, and I, I've been thinking really hard about this ever since because you mentioned it's the second highest it's ever been, the payroll, this year. Uh, the players that they're getting rid of are being offset considerably by raises to Nick Markakis, Kevin Gregg, and Mark Reynolds, and arbitration raises due to Luke Scott and Jeremy Guthrie, unless they are not on the roster come arbitration time, as well as guys like lesser raises to guys like Jim Johnson and Felix PA, if they're both on the roster come come next year. And uh, I know Koji's got an option, and then there will be guys hitting arbitration for the first time who are getting huge raises. Um, and then in the year after that, you're looking at like Matt Weider's salary is going to skyrocket. All of these, like Adam Jones's salary is going to at least triple by, by this time, two years from now, unless he's signed long-term and they're talking about signing Hardy long-term or two, two or three years. And that it's, it's at least going to be interesting to me because I'm trying to figure out like what sort of target are the Orioles looking at payroll wise, payroll wise. And if they add on like an extra, like $12 million a year for Hardy. And I have no idea if that's a realistic number. I am not privy to those negotiations at all. I haven't even read the full articles about them in the paper, but you know, now we're, we're looking at a team that's terrible like really, really bad, has a, a number of huge holes, and they already are, are at like a $90 million payroll. And, you know... There's not to, a lot to... of dead weight to cut is the thing. Well, okay, so Derek Lee and Vlad, I think it's safe to say. I sure hope it's safe to say those guys are not going to be back next year. So, I mean, that's $15 million there. I guess that kind of is going to offset some of these raises. But there's still a lot... Like Brian Roberts, ten million in twenty twelve, ten million in twenty thirteen. I mean, we we might not even see him play a hundred games, fifty games between both of those years. Uh, Markakis is going to make twelve million next year, and then fifteen million the year after, and beyond that also. So I mean, the player we're seeing of Nick Markakis this year is not going to be worth that money. So some of that certainly counts as dead weight. But it's not going. I mean, the Orioles stand no chance of getting rid of that contract right, right, right now. Right. Roberts is not going anywhere. Marquez, I would say, is not going anywhere. Or um, if it was, it would be some kind of crazy waiver claim, like how Alex Rios ended up in the white uh, on the White Sox. Oh, I don't want to think about Nick like that. I know. I, I don't either. I can't even believe I said that. Uh, I probably need to do some kind of penance, but I don't know what that would be. But you know, I mean. If the Orioles are going to attempt or continue to attempt to field a serious competitive team built around this core of Roberts and Markakis and Mattis and, and, well, to a lesser extent, Mattis and Arietta and Britton and, and Weeders, they need to add at least $50 million a year in payroll to, to this team because, you know, they're not a. They're, they're the worst defensive team in baseball. They're one of the worst offensive teams in baseball. <laughs> they're the worst pitching team in baseball. Like They have so many holes that if they're going to seriously try to build around the core they have now, as opposed to have a fire sale, like what, what 
James has proposed, you know, I mean, are uh, are the Orioles like really going to put out like a hundred and fifty million dollar team? I I don't I don't think so. Like uh, that would surprise me very very much. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine the Orioles going above that hundred million when they're still bad. I mean. I mean, I guess what? Like, we're all going crazy. Oh, we'll sign Prince Fielder. We're not going to sign Prince Fielder. I mean, come on. But, it, like, a one big signing would push them over. And if they had that one big signing, that fills one hole if your signing works out. And uh, with the Orioles' luck, I don't even know that a big signing would work out. Like, you know, I, what the heck? They would be considerably better. Let, let's just let's, let's go full out with our uh, rosterbation. Okay. Um, they bring in next offseason. They bring in Prince Fielder. They bring in CC Sabathia, the best two players on the market. Ah, that might they be your be, fifty million barrel. Yeah, right, right, right. There. They spend they spend fifty million dollars. They you know they find somebody to fill in whichever holes that are still remaining. Um, Cesar Estoril, come on down. Yeah, right. They put like Brandon or they right. put like Luke Scott back at DH and you know whatever. Um, <sighs> Let's just say they, they do that, and that's crazy talk. But they would be, you know, that's an extra, what, like 12 wins just between those two players if if they play up to their capabilities, up to what they've shown they can play even this year. Um, and there's no reason to suggest that they would come to Baltimore and suddenly be terrible. Right. Um, it would more be like the back half of whatever contract is where we right. might be lamenting. It's, you know, you're you're going to get good years early. Right. So the team would be much 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 improved, but that is still that brings us up to like 83 wins or so and maybe some other guys bounce back a little, but I mean, unless like unless the young pitchers come up, like Mattis gets better, whatever's wrong with him, Britain figures out, you know, yeah, but I think the conclusion I'm coming to listening to you boys talk is that maybe James is right. Right, and I think that's sort of what I'm circling around too. I didn't, Why does James always just talk me into whatever he wants? He's not even here. I didn't want to believe it when he said that. In fact, I reacted horribly when he said, "Okay, we got to trade Adam Jones in the last podcast." But like, then we've had this the stretch of baseball that we've had since we recorded that podcast, and it's just like, wow. I think there's only two options. Well, three options, one of which is just not realistic. And the third one is to go crazy and sign everyone and pretend we're the New York Yankees for a couple of years. And that's just, that's not reasonable. But either the players that the Orioles were counting on being really good right now, like Nick Markakis and Brian Mattis and Jake Arrieta, need to actually become really good really quickly. Or they need to have a fire sale. I, I think those are the only two options that I'm really coming to. And when you're talking about a fire sale, I'm not sure that, and I, I'm not, I don't think this is ever going to happen um, this this year. But I don't think there's any player on the Orioles that has a higher reputation versus his actual value to the Orioles than Adam Jones. I think we could we could trade him and get a very very good return on him. And, you know, not be that much worse off for it, just because how much worse could we possibly get? Um, I would would say if the Orioles have one overvalued player, it's probably Adam Jones. I think that's a fair assessment. Well, I think he's he's a very good player. I'm not 
Uh, I know James likes to compare him to Jeff Francourt, and I don't think that's reasonable at all. Sorry, James, but I disagree. Um, but he's like having a very good player on the Orioles is just not that worthwhile. To uh, we would just waste those good years. Versus, we could give him off to a contender, and he'd be much, much more worthwhile and, and useful and, and valuable to them. And yeah, I, I think defensively, he, his reputation is far outweighs his actual um, contributions. So in that sense, he's he's overrated. But that that doesn't take anything away from him as a player. I think he's a very good player. Just that's why trading him would get us the most possible return. Stacy, how how much more depressed are you than you were an hour ago? Um, I'm not any more depressed. The Orioles can't bother me. I mean, I've been dealing with this for how many years now? They have to do a lot better than this if they want me to be depressed after talking about them for an hour. Stacy is so sad she's even finally given up on Felix PA, which if if you you maybe you don't know Stacy if you're a listener and you don't go on the site, but that's Stacy's favorite Felix and uh even Stacy's finally realized he's just not a good baseball player, but he's still adorable. Well, he's not a good baseball player, and it has nothing to do with. I like him for who he is. I just wish he didn't have to play baseball so much. <laughs> Especially when he's playing over Nolan, which has has become my number one pet peeve. Uh, I mean, at the end of the last podcast, I said, "Okay, we can't have Nick Markakis bat second anymore." But then he has been like ridiculously hot relative to his early performance and maybe now he actually should be but now now my new crusade is nolan is sitting on the bench so luke scott and or felix pa can get playing time and it's driving me insane well at least luke is on the same old list now he can't hurt us anymore yeah supposedly he's going to be ready to come off as soon as he's eligible so we've got about five more games and then we'll be back to luke uh doing whatever it is he's going to do which probably won't be very good so yeah, we've got that to look forward to. Things are even so bad for the Orioles right now that today on the Sun website, the Sun's television critic was writing about how he can't even watch the Orioles on TV anymore. And I mean, I didn't even know that guy really watched the Orioles or liked the Orioles. And how bad <laughs> how bad do you have to be that you got the television critic in the newspaper has decided he needs to write about how bad you are? That's that's pretty bad. Although honestly, I mean, I might be crazy, but I. I think Orioles telecasts are fun. I think Gary Thorne and either Flanagan or Jim Palmer are a fun combination, um, especially since we suspect there's probably some imbibing of uh, spirits going on to inspire them. I don't know that for sure, though, so don't take that as gospel. But that's what everybody thinks on Cam. <laughs> and, I mean, even, like, when you get Jim Hunter on there, and this week, this weekend and that Red Sox series, Andrew, this is one thing you missed. Jim Hunter was getting so Homer feisty about all this beanball stuff. And oh, yeah. the mass broadcast crew that. was, uh, like, when, when Jeremy Guthrie finally hit uh, a, a Red Sox player, and it was clearly not intentional because it was an 86-mile-an-hour changeup, and it was, like, on his hand, right? So, I mean, it's stupid to think Guthrie was throwing right there. Plus, there was already two men on base and only one out. So he, he loaded the bases by uh, by hitting the guy. But anyway, Masson puts up a, a, a graphic that says, first Red Sox player hit by an Orioles pitcher this year. And then later in the game, they were showing the total hit-by-pitch by pitchers by team and the Red Sox had like 52 and the second place team had like 40 so 
Masson, Masson has embraced whatever it is that the Orioles are bad and they're just there to be homers. And I, I'm okay with that. Uh, I didn't. I did not get to watch any of the games because I've been on vacation for um, the weekend. But yeah, <laughs> I just I read about that and I, I saw that that factoid about how the Red Sox lead the league and hit batters and like they hit like four Orioles in a row and there was a big fight and the Orioles hadn't hit anybody and benches were still being warned and it was just like wow this would be a whole lot cooler and a whole lot more awesome if the Orioles were like putting up a fight in any of these baseball games if they had won even one of the games that would... well the thing is the Friday night game was the game when all of the major hijinks went on and I didn't see any of that game because I was watching the Aberdeen Ironbirds versus the Lowell Spinners that night. But we got home and we turned on the TV to see the highlights. And we, you know, um, and you know, when the Orioles are leading off Sports Center, something happened, and everyone was all riled up. Greg was saying all the things that made you be like, "Yeah." And meanwhile, Josh Beckett was being a whiny baby, and it just like would have played perfectly into the Orioles coming out and doing something on Sunday. But what did they do? They lost four to nothing or something. They yeah, were right. So right. I mean, it's like maybe this would be exciting if there was any chance that you were going to actually build on it. But there's not because you suck. Yeah, it's so, hard to it's hard to build a storyline about the Orioles uh, waking up and showing signs of life when they get into a fight and then lose by. A combined like 20 runs over the next three days anyway. right and then after the whole thing john lackey throw hits marcakis and lee totally on purpose and they don't do anything about it not i'm not talking about retaliation as far as throwing at the red sox but they don't get any hits they don't they don't score any yeah, runs right. they don't do right. anything and it's just like whatever you know and it was an interesting way to break up the monotony for a night but ultimately, it was just, you know, you can't show life and come back when you just are not good at baseball. It's not a movie. Right. We're, we're back to our numbness where really, I mean, we watch baseball because we like watching the Orioles. But we don't even expect them to win or lose. We just like the experience and all the stuff like, oh, well, you got the four drives of a game and the course light cold hard blast. And what the heck else do they have? The AFSIA intelligence report. Actually, I don't care about the AFSIA intelligence report. Sorry, AFSIA. But... You know, whatever. One day we will. One day. Yeah. We'll, wa- we'll enjoy watching a broadcast solely for the performance on the field. One day. One day. In the meantime, we sit around and we talk about silly potential sponsorships of some of that stuff. Like, that's what they have on there. And the Budweiser thirst inning or whatever. And um, Stacy and I decided one time that it would be funny if there was a KY lube grounder of the game. And it would be any time there was like an infield single and the ball just didn't go, that would be your KY grounder because it needed need a little extra to um, to kind of squirt through there. And I just kind of I kind of imagine this this on the broadcast and it's like you know, Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer are trying to analyze this replay and then you got Jim Hunter looking at the replay and he's like well, you know, Gary, you just see this ball off the bat of Jeter, and it just goes, and it dies in the grass. I mean, it dies right there in the grass, Gary. And that's why it's going to be your KY grounder in the game, uh, your KY grounder of the game. And then Gary Thorne wouldn't actually say this, but it would be awesome if he said, and you know, Derek Jeter knows a thing or two about balls dying in the grass. Oh, mercy! <laughs> 
Ah, these are the kinds of Wow. Shit. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I would love to see something like that, but in the end, what we get is bad Orioles baseball. <laughs> well, you know, it's not so bad. So, yeah, now that I've thoroughly embarrassed myself, not for the first time and surely not for the last on this podcast, uh, Stacy, do you have any final thoughts, hopes, dreams, or whatever about the Orioles? I just hope they can manage to not embarrass us too much in the second half, you know, not make it too difficult for the three of us to write about them for three more months. Is that too much to ask? In fact, the very first (laughs) podcast that we did, Andrew and I, I seem to remember Andrew said uh, his goal was just to not be embarrassed to be an Orioles fan anymore, so it seems like you're in agreement with... uh, Well, that's been my goal for a long time. One thing I really want from them is to just not be embarrassed. And yeah. they don't ever they don't ever even oblige me that. They don't even lose like a normal team. They always pick the most embarrassing way to possibly do it. But that's the Orioles, and I'm used to it by now. We've got we've had since nineteen ninety eight to really get used to it, although I wasn't following the team like every day that whole time, but uh I've seen some bad seasons since that time. So Andrew, what about you? Hopes, dreams? Um uh, well, Final. actually, um for, for whatever reason, uh, two, two weeks ago, I guess, I was very, very angry with the Orioles. I was working through my issues with them, with, a, a, you know, writing, venting, that, that sort of thing. And I got the news that Matt Wieters is going to be playing baseball tomorrow in the All-Star game. And, you know, as cynical as it is to say... Um, I was just happy that it wasn't Ty Wigington. I was legitimately happy to hear that a player that I want to see representing the Orioles will be representing the Orioles tomorrow night. And um, I can't say I'm looking forward to the All-Star game because uh, the last time I was actually sort of uh, enthralled with the magic of the All-Star game was one of the moments that Stacy put up. Uh, in our countdown to the top 10 best all-star moments, which was when Melvin Mora and Miguel Tejada and Brian Roberts all shared the infield together. Uh, oh, see, I thought you were going to go even farther back and say about Mike no, 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 Bucina's no, no, no. warming up in the... Uh... <laughs> Does Andrew even remember that? What were you, like, nine when that happened? Um, I was I was eight. Oh, no, I was geez. seven. I'm sorry. Oh, my God, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> So, no, I, I do not remember that. But, um, you know, I, I think in my, my cynical post-college years, I, it's hard for me to really feel proud of anything about the Orioles anymore. But the All-Star game, even up until a few years ago, I, I, I just I felt Oriole pride, I guess, at, at seeing legitimately great players standing on the field next to legitimately great players and feeling like, yes, Miguel Tejada is one of the best shortstop. He is the best shortstop going. Like, he is our guy. He is my guy. I I could not be more proud to to watch these three guys play baseball together during the All-Star game. And, uh, you know, when it's George Sherrill or Ty Wigington... It's like I don't. I just don't care. Like it. It destroys everything that might have been there. But when it's Matt Wieters, and I know that he's perhaps the 
best defensive catcher in baseball going right now. And to know that he will be representing me for, for all intents and purposes, um, that just, that makes me really, it, 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 it shined a light on my Grinchy heart for, for a moment. So um, congratulations to Matt. Uh, he's one of the bright spots on an otherwise jury team. And I will be watching tomorrow even though I really don't care. Um, and and I hope he, he has a moment for us that, that we can talk about next year as, as we do our top ten again. So, Go Matt Wieters in the All-Star game. Will he even play? I don't know. Hopefully he does, though. I would be sad if he doesn't even play. I'm sure he'll get in the game. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not that many catchers. He, he'll get in there for at least a couple innings. Let's see. What's my final thought? Uh, you guys stole my stuff, so I don't know. Uh, I wrote an article on the site last week about how I think the Orioles need to release Sterically. I guess that's still my final thought. Silky D, I'm sorry, he's just not living up to what we hoped, and he's due to get like $2.5 million in performance incentives for plate appearances, which I don't think he's going to earn. Although now Andrew and I have dueling whether Vlad or Lee is going to be worse, and uh, clearly uh, our little our little contest person. is every time uh, Derek Lee does something good, Andrew gets a point, and Andrew wants Vlad to be released, and every time Vlad does something good, I get a point. So you're not getting any points, Mark. I know. I really. Um, yeah. I, I would be happy if they both got released. I am not against releasing Derek Lee. Release them all. Yeah. Luke I mean, Scott. Right now, Andrew is winning though, because Derek Lee's had and like three home also, runs since I wrote that article. So I'm not, I'm not winning right now. Who else can they release? Everyone. Stacy, do you just want to call up Norfolk? I don't like. And, they don't uh, have any good players. Yeah, they don't, I don't either. Well, let's call up Frederick. Screw it, right? I don't know, man. All right. Well. We don't know. I'm out of things to say. I think we've exhausted our discussion here. So. It's been a good time, as always, Stacy. We're glad you came on this time. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It was very fun. So for, yeah, for Stacy and Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. This is Camden Cast. This is Birdland, depressing as it is. We are out.